Good to see everybody this morning. Um, I have a message. I feel like God has laid on my heart. Actually, I've been working on this for some time, and then we got in the middle of a couple series, which were awesome, and so kind of put it on the back burner, but felt like the Lord was telling me uh, this Sunday is the Sunday to bring this. So this morning I got a message called Be Ye Holy. There's a little animal uh, that lives in the northern forests of Europe and Asia. And this little animal is called an ermine. How many of you know what an ermine is? Uh-oh. Okay, so I can tell you anything I want, right? Nobody knows what I'm talking about. So an ermine is a little, like, weasel-looking animal. It lives in, uh, like I said, the forests of northern Europe and Asia. And there's something really special about this animal. So this animal, during the summer, it has a kind of a tannish coat. Uh, kind of looks like a weasel, like I said. But as the weather gets cold and winter sets in, the ermine's coat turns to snow white. It makes this amazing transformation. And actually, the winter coat of an ermine is one of the most sought-after furs uh, that trappers or hunters go after in these parts of the country. It's worth a lot of money. And they try to get it in the winter when that's nice and white and it's pure. Well, there's something that is unusual. It's an unusual trait of the ermine. So the ermine protects its white coat at all costs. And so when hunters want to go and they want to trap or they want to the, uh, catch the ermine, they don't trap it. What they do is they find out where the ermine lives. And usually it's in a cleft of a, like a cave or uh, they can climb trees, so it could be kind of in the crux of a tree. And what the hunters will do is they will take and they will spread at the opening of the ermine's home, they'll spread all kinds of like grease and dirt and... Um, just things that would make the coat of the ermine brown. And then what they do is they sent their dogs to chase the ermine. And naturally, the ermine goes towards its home. But when it gets to the entrance of its home, it will not go inside because it protects its white coat and it becomes trapped and captured. The ermine... To the ermine, purity is more precious than life. The ermine protects its purity at the cost of death. What I want to talk about this morning is be ye holy. Let's pray. Father, what an honor to be here this morning and to be in your presence and to look at your word. God, and in this moment, help me to dictate what's on my heart. Holy Spirit, would you guide us? Would you open our hearts? Would you open our eyes to understanding this morning? So that when we leave here, we know you in a deeper, more personal way. Amen. All right, so I told Austin, uh, he's putting the slides up, told him I have like 25 slides, but don't worry, I'm going to go through them really, really quickly. So, if you want to take notes, uh, I hope you're a fast writer. Uh, but what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to go through a journey through Scripture and look at holiness. What does it mean 
when Scripture tells us to be holy. We're going to start in 1 Peter. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 to 16. And I'm going to use this as the basis this morning, and then we're going to go through just a bunch of different scripture. But 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. And this, this is written, Peter is addressing um, Christians in this letter. He's addressing Christians that lived in various parts of Asia Minor, who at this time were suffering persecution. They were going through hard times. Because of the things they were standing for, the world was coming against them. They were trying to be obedient, but they're facing persecution. So that's the context of this letter. And 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16 says this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. What Peter is doing here is he is going back and he is referencing Scripture from Leviticus. Lord, please help this pointer to work today. So, he's going back and he is referencing Scripture from Leviticus. And the first one I'm going to look at, and you don't have to turn to these, I'm going to go through them really quick. But in Leviticus 11, 44 and 45, here God is laying out ground rules for the priests. He's telling them what they can eat, the things they can do, the things they can't do. And he gets to the end of it and he says this, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourself, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. We'll move on to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, 1-2. And here, again, God is talking to Moses. And he's telling Moses the moral law for the children of Israel. And at the end of this, he repeats himself. And he says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord God, am holy. We'll move on. Leviticus 20, verse 7. And here again is God, and he's speaking to Moses. And in this chapter, if you go back and you read these chapters, at, in the, at this point, God is telling Moses the penalty for, to the children of Israel for not obeying the law. And then at the end, he repeats himself again. He says, consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Going to keep moving. Going to go back to First Peter, and I'm going to kind of go all over the place this morning, so bear with me and try to all bring it to a point at the end. But going back to First Peter... 1.15. And this is in the King James Version. And so what I wanted to do, I, as I was reading this and I was studying, I was like, God, what, like, what does this actually mean? What does it mean to be holy like you are holy? So 1 Peter 1.15 in the King James Version translates it like this. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So be ye holy. It's what I want to focus on this morning. So what I did 
is they took each word, and this is the King James up top, and this is the original Greek. In the original Greek, it's kai genomai autos hagios. I practiced that, that's pretty close. <laughs> Translated literally, it means indeed become, it's an action, indeed become yourself, you, me, each one of us that is sitting here this morning, indeed become yourself hagios, holy, set apart, sacred, physically pure, morally blameless, consecrated, a saint. That is what the literal translation of that means. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, but you, that's talking about me, it's talking about each person that's sitting here this morning, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Being holy is not a suggestion. Being holy is not an option. Being holy is a command. Before I move on this morning, I want to make sure that you guys understand me, where I'm coming from this morning. This morning is not an anti-grace message. This morning is not a message of works. This morning is a message of an invitation to live what Jesus died for. This morning is an invitation to live out a holy life, which is what Jesus went to the cross for. It's not an anti-grace message. I thank God for grace. If it wasn't for grace, I wouldn't be sitting, standing here this morning. If it wasn't for God's mercy and grace, I'd Maybe I'd be in a jail or I'd be in a ditch. I'd be homeless. I for sure wouldn't be a Christian. I am grateful for the grace of God. One of the things we have to understand is that grace enables us to become who Jesus calls us to be. And that's holy. Grace enables us to become what Jesus died for, not to wallow in sin. Grace is not a license to sin, but it's the power to live a sinless life. Grace is Jesus accepting us in a moment as we are. The thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. God's grace accepts us in a moment as we are. But that's not where the story ends. Grace gives us the ability to metamorphosize, I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going to use it this morning, into who he has called us to be, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a holy people. Holiness is not an option. That's what I want to try to, to point to this morning as we move on. So as we get into kind of the meat of the message, I'm going to give you three reasons this morning, and there's many. But three things I felt the Lord lay on my heart. Three reasons why it is so important for us to live a holy life. And then three keys to living that out. Number one, you, I, each one that's sitting here this morning, represent Jesus. He could have chosen anyway. He could have, he could have, 
created some other dimension to show who he is. It's like the last song we sang, Christ be magnified in us. That's how he's chosen to bring kingdom to earth. He's chosen us. We represent Jesus. Jesus is the standard of holiness that we should strive for. You gotta move through some scripture here, talking about the holiness of Jesus. First Peter 1, 18, 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but, but, with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without what? Without blemish and without spot. Hebrews 7.26, for such a high priest was fitting for us, it's fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, I love this verse, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is the standard of holiness that we should strive for. We represent Jesus. John 2.6 says this, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk. How? Just as he walked. Romans 1.2 says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. What's the definition of holy? Remember? Set apart, sacred, physically pure, morally blameless, consecrated, a saint. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. God would never call us to do something he doesn't give us the ability to obtain. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Going to keep moving. Romans eight twenty nine. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of who? His son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Who are the brethren? Us. Amen. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, for a sweet-smelling aroma. How many of you know that this world needs some sweet-smelling aroma? Amen. Amen. There's a lot of things going on in this world. There's a lot of junk that takes place. This world needs a sweet-smelling aroma. I had to think of this last night as I was looking at this again. One of my favorite things top 10 things in the world, it's pumpkin pie. And when my wife makes pumpkin pie, I smell it. I don't care where I am. And guess where I'm drawn to? The kitchen. 
When we live a life of holiness, people are naturally drawn to us, just like I'm drawn to pumpkin pie. So number one reason why it's important to live a life of holiness is because you and I represent Jesus to this world. And we can stop right there and we take that to heart and live that out and the kingdom would come, right? Point number two, a life lived out of holiness impacts the world. A holy life introduces the world to kingdom culture. Found two quotes by two amazing men. D.L. Moody said this, a holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns, they just shine. Bill Johnson said this, the supernatural is a natural byproduct of a holy life. The worst thing as Christians that we can do, and this is the temptation in church. This is a temptation as a Christian. It's, I mean, I'm not going to lie, it's a temptation here to do this here, is to kind of conform to the world, to be relevant. How many of you have heard, uh, you know, churches, they try to be relevant to the world? As people, we try to be relevant to the world. That's not what Jesus said. That's not the example he left. He was radical. He lived a holy life. The worst thing that we can do is water down the gospel. The worst thing that we can do is compromise our morals in order to become relevant with the world. This world needs truth. This world needs to see Jesus in our lives. In our lives, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Philippians 5, sorry. Philippians 2, 5 to 11, and this is the NCV version. I love how it states this. It says, in our lives, you must think and act like Jesus Christ. Does that sound like an option? In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything. But he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. But he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing, He was born as a man and became like a servant. So what's Paul saying? He's saying this is the example that you need to follow. And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God, even when that caused his death, death on the cross. So God raised him to the highest place. God made his name greater than every other name, so that every knee will bow to the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth and under the earth. And everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and bring glory to God the Father. A life of holiness brings glory to God. It brings kingdom to the earth and it changes families, it changes regions, it changes the world. If we really want to impact people, we need to live for what Jesus died for. Third point. So, number one, we need to live a life of holiness because we represent Jesus. Number two, it impacts the world. And number three, it ensures our eternal destination. Romans 6.22, but now having been set free from sin 
And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Matthew seven twenty one to 23. And to me, this is such a sobering scripture. And this is Jesus. This is his words. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That word lawlessness in the Greek is the exact opposite of holiness. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying there's going to be people. There's going to be people on the great day who stand before him and say, I cast out demons. I did miracles in your name. And he's going to look at them and he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart. You practiced lawlessness. You didn't practice holy life. That's heavy. That's heavy for me. Okay, moving on. So we've established that living a holy life is important. We represent Jesus. We want to impact the world. We need to live what Jesus died for, and it ensures our eternal destination. So how do we do that? How do we do that in a crazy world? Three keys to living a holy life. Number one, hunger after truth. Hunger after the word. And this morning, I am, I am preaching to myself. I struggle with this at times. I go through seasons where, just to be honest, the Bible isn't the first thing I want to turn to. But if we're really going to live out what Jesus died for, we got to know the author. We have to know truth. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many of us want to live that out? How many of us want to be equipped for every good work? How many of us want to be complete? We all do. The answer is in the scripture. We need to ask the Lord for a hunger for scripture. The rest of these verses I don't have up there, and I'm just going to uh, fire from the hip real quick. But just, just let these things settle into your heart that scripture is telling us. Hebrews 4.12, very familiar portion of scripture. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is given by inspiration. God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. I already said that. In Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Acts 20, 32. And now, brethren, I commend 
you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when he received the word of God, which he heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is truth, the word of God, which effectively worketh also in you that believe. We have to hunger for truth. We have to hunger for the word. Point number two, we have to crucify our flesh. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that your old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. To live a holy life, we have to learn to crucify our flesh. Again, I'm going to just fire a couple of scriptures at you. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Galatians 5.24 Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Ephesians 4.22 That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with lust and deceit. Colossians 3.5 Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. We have to crucify our flesh. Point number three. We have, I don't know why it says four. We have to surround yourself with others that are going in the same direction. Two, or a quote from Booker T. Washington, associate yourself with people of good quality, for it is better to be alone than in bad company. First Corinthians 15 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. If you want to go somewhere, surround yourself with people that are going the same direction. I hear Mike, Mike and Karen, I hear Mike say this a lot. It's so good to be with people that believe the way you do, that are going in the same direction. It's so important to living out the best that God has for you. I'm going to close here in just a little bit, and we're going to close a little bit different this morning. Grace. Grace empowers us to live a holy life. And last night, as I was here and I was praying and asking the Lord about myself, I was, I was examining myself, doing a self-examination, and the Lord brought something to me that's kind of a just a picture of what this looks like. And I remember when I, about 12 years ago, when I started really walking this out and figured out that the Holy Spirit isn't somebody to be afraid of and started trying to learn and understand Scripture. And I would go through seasons. And I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it was amazing. But there was something that others had that I wanted that it didn't seem no, no matter what I would do, the Lord wouldn't give it to me. And that was the gift of speaking in tongues. And I was frustrated by that. I knew it was not of the devil. I knew it was something to be desired. I knew there was tremendous power in it. 
but I couldn't do it. And I'd try to, you know, I'd try to force it. And I, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. And I remember, I was at a meeting, and the Lord spoke to me very, very clearly. And in that moment, I understood that there was something in my life that was blocking that. There was something that was in my life that was not allowing the Lord to do that work in me. And it was a tremendous fear of man. And so when I took care of that, when I kind of dug that out and got rid of that, guess what happened? God gave me the gift of tongues. And it made me realize that the Lord wants to do a full transformation with inside of us. And his grace, he's such a patient, he's such a gentle king that he doesn't force his way in. But he guides us. He knows where we're at. But it made me understand that the more of me, the more of I that I get rid of, the more of him is, that is able to live with inside me. The more of me, the more of my flesh, the more of my junk that I dig out and throw out, the more of Jesus can live inside of me. The more manifestation comes out of my life. So I want to encourage you guys this morning that living a holy life is a big deal. It's not an option. But God is such a gentle king, and he knows where you're at. He knows the things you struggle with. He knows the things that you desire. He's not going to force his way in. But he wants to make, be made full in you. I'm going to close with some scripture. And these are, I call them checkbox scriptures. And as you read these, as you listen to these scriptures, just do a self-examination of your life. See where you're at with this. This is Jesus. I'm going to go through these pretty quick. 2 Timothy 1, 8-9, Paul says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Corinthians 7.1, 1 Corinthians 7.1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Hebrews 12.14, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Ephesians 5, 3, this is in the NIV. But among you there must not be even a hint. I mean, you can't get more, much more plain than that. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Matthew 5, 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Remember, God would never call us to be something that we can't obtain. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, Do you not know 
that you are the temple. You, I am the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? It's a quote from Bill Johnson. And this kind of wraps everything up about be holy. He said, grace does not overlook sin. It empowers righteousness. Doesn't it honor him more when his children no longer see themselves only as sinners saved by grace, but now as heirs of God's holiness? Let me read that again. Grace does not overlook sin. It empowers righteousness. Doesn't it honor him more when his children no longer see themselves only as sinners saved by grace, but now as heirs of God's holiness? You and I have been called to be holy. It's what we are created for. Natalie, why don't you come on up here? You had no idea I was going to do this. Bring your little Bible. This is what you get if you come to intercession and you share what's on your heart. <clears throat> she read this this morning and I just started weeping because it was the heart of what I want you to hear this morning. So I'm going to have her read this and I'm going to have the whole worship team come back on up. And the way we're going to close this morning is this. If God spoke to your heart, if there's an area in your life where you haven't quite been able to surrender. It's keeping you, for keeping you from living for less than God died for. I don't want you to leave here this morning without somebody praying for you. So Natalie's going to read what she shared this morning, and if you want to share a little bit with it, that's totally fine. And when she's done, I'm going to ask you guys to play that last song that you did. And during that time, everybody stand. You can consider yourself dismissed. But also, if you want prayer, come on up during that time and would love to pray for you this morning. Thanks, Natalie, for sharing this. Um, so this is Genesis 1, um, verse 26, and then I'm going to read some footnotes that go along with it in the Passion Translation. It says, Then God said, Let us make a man and a woman in our image to be like us. As our image, image can be translated representation or resemblance. God created someone like himself to reflect who he is into all of his creation. He created trees after their kind, birds after their kind, fish after their kind, and animals after their kind. But now he creates a God kind of being. Man and woman will resemble him and bring his image into the created order. Christ is the image of God. The first man, Adam, was a type or figure of the last Adam, Christ. Uh, according to our likeness and to be like us, compar comparable to us, God is neither male nor female, but he has both male and female dimension to his nature. What is this image given to each of us? It includes personality, the capacity for worship, and the ability to make moral decisions are conscious and the ability to reflect God. 
created as his image bearers, all human beings bear the expression or the image of God. As photographs of God, our characteristics are copies of his because he desires to give himself for you and to you. He took his own nature and likeness and fashioned a creature just like him, one he could love with unlimited passion. Jesus, we just thank you for making us like you. Thank you that um, we don't have to necessarily strive to be more like you because we're created just like you. So God, we just, we just fully embrace this um, image of yourself that you have stamped on us from the beginning of time before we were even formed in our mother's womb. You created us like you when you had us in mind. Thank you, God, for, for doing that. Thank you that we get to just walk in that. God, I just thank you for um, just freedom to do that. Help us to not strive to be perfect or strive to be holy, but to just step because you've already made us holy. Show us what it's like to walk in holiness and what it's like to be image bearers of who you are, your character and your goodness and your holiness. We just embrace all of that this morning. Thank you, Natalie. I want everybody stand. We're going to worship this morning, Dan. Leave it open for ministry time. If there's something you want prayer for, come on up this morning. Don't leave here without it.